Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Off the Dome Sports Podcast, your favorite sports podcast where two and sometimes three sports lovers sit and give their hot takes. Off the Dome. I am Redfish. And I'm Rebo Hustle. And I am Mustang. And we will be steering this ship today. If you are watching on YouTube, thank you very much for watching Off the Dome Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify as well. Go back and listen to every episode on Spotify. Also, make sure to follow us on X, or the artist formerly known as Twitter, off the underscore dome pod, where you can also follow the newly added Rebo Hustle OTD. Very proud of him for finally getting... Finally. Finally. There will be nothing posted to it, but... No, never. Only retweets of <laughs> things from the Off the Dome account. Indeed. Uh, make sure to follow the, the No Network as well, K-N-E-A-U-X, the only way to spell it. Tons of good stuff going on over there, covering every Louisiana sports teams and some national stuff, too. New podcasts coming up, new articles written all the time, so make sure to follow the No Network. For this episode, we're going to be sticking to uh, something that is near and dear to our hearts, a team represented on both my ring and my t-shirt here, and something that Rebo Hustle, I know, wants to get into, and that is the LSU Tigers football team. Well, Rebo, yeah. the floor is yours. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, we shirred up the rest of the offensive coaching staff, getting Slade Nagel. Um, really, there's a underlying, I don't even know what to call it, but everybody. Theme? Yeah, there's a theme. Yes. Thank you, Bryce. You're, You're welcome. <laughs> I have a master's degree. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, there's an underlying theme with all of the coaches and hires this offseason season. And that's really tying it back to Louisiana. Um, we've seen Nick Saban do it whenever he was here from 2000 to 04. We saw Les Miles win a national championship with Nick Saban's amazing recruiting class in 2004 um, with guys like Glenn Dorsey and Early Doucette. But uh, after, Les, after Saban left, Les Miles didn't con- completely lock down the state Saban came back to college football, stole some guys away from Louisiana like Landon Collins and Eddie Lacy. Um, and then after Les Miles left, Ed Ogeron kind of tried to pick that back up. And then, of course, everything goes down. He gets fired again. He gets fired. We bring in Brian Kelly. He doesn't realize that the, the most powerful thing Louisiana, Louisiana State University has in their corner is the dirt beneath their feet. And uh, that's a bar. <laughs> yeah, clip it. So, you got rid of guys like Corey Raymond, who we all know is ace recruiter, especially in the New Orleans area. Um, and so this off season, you saw a defensive house clearing basically, and now your defensive uh, coaching staff looks like Blake Baker as the DC, who coached at. Played for Tulane, coached at LSU in the past. Um, Bo Davis, of course, played at LSU, coached at LSU under Saban. Also an ace recruiter for LSU and Bama. And you got guys like Kevin Peoples, who've uh, coached at Northwestern State. Jake Olson, coached at Northwestern State and was assistant at LSU. And then, of course, you brought back the biggest recruiting legend in Louisiana history, Corey Raymond. 
And offensively, you kind of already been doing this for the past four or five years with guys like Joe Sloan, who's spent 13 years coaching in Louisiana. Uh, Cortez Hankton's from New Orleans. Frank Wilson's your running backs coach, also from New Orleans. And Brad Davis, your offensive line coach, is from Baton Rouge. Yeah. I mean, I love it. As Louisiana State University, the university that represents the state, and, I mean, like they've said in every other sport, LSU is a global brand. It's not just some local team that people here love. It's a team that you can recognize in the country, out of the country. They win national championships in every sport. Like, LSU is known by their three letters. Um, And for the first letter of that being Louisiana and us having a full coaching staff of Louisiana guys feels really good. Whether they were born and raised here or whether they coached here in previous stints or whether they're here now for the first time and they're enjoying their stay. Um, I think it's really important for a state university especially one that's represented so highly in the national media to really represent their state. And I think that's what this coaching staff is bringing to the table. Yeah. uh, You know, like you said, LSU being known not only in the state of Louisiana, but nationwide, even worldwide, people have grown to love the purple and gold. Usually they're uh, non-SEC participants. But... Uh, yeah, you know, um, me and Soundman took a trip to Omaha last year to go watch the Tigers in the national championship. And almost every establishment, every restaurant, every bar we walked into, we were wearing, obviously we were wearing LSU clothing. And they were all, you know, even if they weren't from here, they could have been from Nebraska, from Iowa. We saw a lot of people all giving us a go Tigers, saying that they were, you know, fans. Obviously not firsthand because they want to support their local team, but... They said they were glad to have us there, uh, glad that LSU is succeeding again. And it just goes to show, you know, how great our program is, not just to one brand, even all sports. We've always been in the running. And the people. Wait for it. Love the Tigers. They do. They do love the Tigers. Louisiana is a better place when we're when LSU is succeeding. Like, not only because people are happier because their teams are winning, but legitimately crime goes down and like, just people like elections <laughs> go better. better. Like, yeah, like stuff like actually goes better when LSU is winning football games. Um, and hopefully, this coaching staff can keep us on the right track and get us back into that national championship spotlight we saw just a few years ago. Anything else to tell us about this wonderful time we got going on in LSU football? Yeah, I mean, recruiting the state of Louisiana is, like, one of the biggest things to do in, for this program. In recent history, we've missed names like uh, Travis and Trevor Etienne, running back for the Jaguars. His brother is you played for Florida last two seasons, is now at Georgia. Um, also, I recently found out that C.D. Lamb is born and raised in New Orleans. His family moved to Texas because of Katrina. And it really hurts knowing that his loyalty wasn't to Texas, even though he was raised there and he still went to Oklahoma. That really makes me feel like LSU had a shot to get him back to, to Louisiana. Um, and then, of course, Nick Saban retiring gives us another breath of hope because that was Alabama's favorite thing to do. It's plucking players from Louisiana and just a couple names – in the last couple of years, Cam Robinson, offensive tackle for the Jaguars, 
Um, Devonta Smith, Heisman Trophy winner. Irv Smith Jr., amazing tight end. And Christian Harris, one of the breakout players of the playoffs this year. Yeah. Bama definitely stole some guys from Louisiana, and you have to think some of that not only has to do with maybe our coaching staff getting away from that Louisiana love, but also just not having the coaching staff in place to make the team succeed. Because when your team is winning games, people are one going to be a part of that culture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw it, you know, with the 2025 class that we talk about with uh, Bryce Underwood um, coming from Michigan. He was at the game when we beat the snot out of Auburn. Um, you know, you have guys like Caden Durham from Texas and DeCorian Moore from Texas. Uh, Harlem Berry from here in Louisiana. These are guys who are coming to the LSU Tigers because they see what this coaching staff can do. Um, and guys who were really excited when they saw the coaching staff that's coming in um, with the Louisiana ties and just the love for the Tigers. And I think that's really, really important now uh, in college football is that loyalty piece because of what they have going on in NIL and the transfer portal. you got to find guys that are loyal and you got to have coaches that are willing to keep them there. And I think LSU is kind of building that culture. Yeah. Definitely. Attaboy, Rebo. <laughs> I had something, but I, it, it got lost. Yeah. It's going to be a, a good feeling to once again start recruiting these hometown guys from the state, not have Saban pluck them away. Um, with that, I mean, you know, the Wicked Witch is dead, gone. It's going to be a whole different look for Alabama. They're not going to be, well, you know, they could be, but. I'm sure a lot of people can agree with me in saying that I don't think they'll be that big, bad Alabama anymore. They're definitely going to take a step back. It might take a few years for them to you know, get back to that, that dynasty-level football team. Yeah. I mean, they still have recruits who are saying they're still going. They're still committed. They have new commits uh, re- getting recruited and committing anyway. Uh, but you saw so many players enter the transfer portal. You saw guys who were five stars, four stars in high school and – they're decommitting and opening it back up to recruitment. So, um, you know, although they're going to bring in some guys from Washington with Kalen DeBoer being the new head coach, and they're going to keep some guys along the way because they still are Alabama and they have tons of resources, it's definitely going to be a different type of team than we've seen in the past. It's not going to be Alabama has a top three recruiting class and you know they're going to put seven, eight guys in the league every single season. It's going to be... It's going to be a fight, and I'm really glad that we're in the SEC West where it is going to be a fight every single season between us and Bama and Ole Miss has really you know, gotten a lot better over the past few years. And I know Lane Kiffin has some beef with us on Twitter, but that's his own fault. Um, You're adding Texas and, and Oklahoma. Yeah, and Texas and, and Oklahoma are coming in. Reduce. Mizzou, I know they lose Blake Baker and Kevin Peoples to us, but still a much improved team. Uh, over the past couple seasons, A&M is always going to get good players because of the oil money that they have. So, I mean, the SEC West is a crazy place, and it's going to be a really fun division, probably the best division in all of college football um, going forward here. So it's going to be it's going to be really, really fun uh, to see what this coaching staff and all our new recruits can do in the purple and gold. Yeah, I'm excited. It's many, many moons away, but I'm I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we are very far away from the LSU football season, but uh, we're already trying to scratch that itch. Um, moving on from the purple and gold into the uh, gold, red, and blue, the New Orleans Pelicans. Hello.
So I know he was the most passionate uh, about the LSU football as well, but our resident basketball guy, start us off with what's been going on with the Pels lately. Yeah, since our last pod hasn't looked awesome. It's nice three-game skid against three of the be- better teams in the NBA for sure, but still a tough loss to OKC, um, a blowout loss to the Bucks, And then last night was one of the hardest games to watch in a long time for me, having a big lead on uh, the Boston Celtics going into halftime, fumble a little bit in the third quarter, but also go on a 20-4 to run to end the quarter. Still have a 10-point lead. Um, they tie the game up with about four minutes left. Derek White hits a clutch three. And then I feel like, I will say, I, will, I overreacted last night. This but, is, this is I was going to get into that, so you can, you can right. address it up front. So at this point, four minutes left, down by three. Uh, uh, B.I.'s got the ball, is double teamed. We know he's good at taking tough shots. But you got four minutes left in the game. I don't see why you have to pull this. He he ends up pulling a three with like 16 seconds left on a shot clock. And in my opinion, it was just a, a reminder how young this team is. And that's what my verdict is today, is that it's a reminder of how young we are. Whereas last night I was like, we need a guard that can figure it out. Yeah, you went from... You know, a couple weeks ago, us being in a position where we were saying, can't touch this team, we're doing too well, we're playing too good, like, don't touch the team, to last night you were trying to cook up every B.I. trade in the book because you saw one play and you were mad. So, was it an overreaction? Yes. Will I stand by the fact that B.I. probably didn't make the best decision on that specific offensive play? Yes. Definitely. Um, But that being said, I don't think... You just trade the best, if not, you know, definitely top two player on your team who has been an all-star before and, you know, is always in that conversation again just because he takes some tough shots sometimes. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's your best idea. We also discovered that every guard that you would think is on a, on B.I.'s level right now is uh, pretty much untouchable. So, that, yeah, that should... Um, also speak to how good B.I. is. Yeah, we did We did talk about that. Uh, Rebo and I were sitting out on the couch after the Pels game just talking about, you know, the trade market and thinking, like, you know, what, what you know, true guards out there on that could be traded, like, who are legitimately willing by that team or make sense to be traded or on B.I.'s level or better than B.I. to where we could trade B.I. for them. And there's literally, like, one or two. And you would have to give up too much. And we, and then even getting them, you don't know if you're actually going to be better. Um, one guy I brought up that Rebo talked about didn't love the fit here uh, is Donovan Mitchell. I think Donovan Mitchell's a top five guard in the league probably. He's having a fantastic season, and he's a really, really good player and has been for a really long time. Um, I think he's better than Brandon Ingram. But if you trade Brandon Ingram and you're going to have to trade more with him and get Donovan Mitchell in return, and then you have Donovan Mitchell and CJ, you know, is that a better situation than we're in right now? I don't know. Uh, I mean, is he a better player? Yes, but better players don't always make better situations. So it's almost, it's this crazy thing with the Pelicans where it's like, you know, we have to get better, but it's 
it's very unsure of how you can be better. Um, because you look at it, and on paper, it all makes sense together, but just something doesn't go right in the games. For me, a re- uh, something I've been thinking about all day today when thinking about what we were going to talk about um, is Willie Green. And I love Willie Green. I think he is a player's coach. I think the players love him. But I don't think he always makes the best basketball decisions. Uh, I showed Rebo this earlier, and I don't know his thoughts on it, but when he's talking about that B.I. possession where he takes a tough three, the other guys on the floor were Larry Nance, Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, and I believe Najee Marshall with five minutes left, and you're either tied or down by three. You don't have Zion on the court who has been – killing them in the paint all day long. You don't have Jonas on the court, who was an enforcer grabbing every rebound and posting up people on the block. You don't have CJ in the game, who late in the game we saw scored like eight straight points with less than a minute to go that actually gave us some false hope. And you're expecting B.I. to be able to run the offense and us stay in the game when Derek White's hitting four straight possessions of three-pointers. So for me... Yes, I think we do need to get better, and I'm going to talk about some trades that I cooked up that are really, really bad, but I just want to get your (laughs) thoughts on them. Um, But I think some of it has to come back to coaching, and we see that you know, with our other New Orleans team, obviously, uh, in the Saints, and that's something that's been going on a lot on social media and not something we're necessarily going to get into on today's pod because we've done it at nauseum over the past few. But, um, yeah, Willie Green, I love him. But maybe it's maybe it's time for him to bring it. I know we brought in James Borrego, but maybe it's time for him to bring in some other guys who can help him specialize in that rotational piece uh, of this offensive scheme. Very fair. Oh, wow. That's the nicest thing he's ever said to me. It was Herb Jones and not Najee Marshall, so less offense. Oh, even less offense. Great. Perfect. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, y'all, y'all are talking about trades and this and that, but... Like in a sense, like do I think we can improve player wise, like like personnel? Yes, but do I think it'll hurt this team? Yes, these players have built so much chemistry, gelled together so well over the past few seasons, and they, they you know they're just improving each game. Uh, and yes, they do take a few steps back sometimes, but usually it's against a pretty good team a team where they're meant to, you know, not blow out or maybe not win that time around. But, you know, these past three games, we play teams that we know are going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. And um, I just think, especially the Celtics, right, they've been a top dog in the East for many years now. And just to even compete with them at this early stage in the game, it speaks volumes to me on how well this team is improving, how, how well they're gelling together. And I just think they need some more time. Maybe – this season towards the end they could pull it together or maybe next season they'll pull it together but I do think that we have the right people we have the right group it's just a matter of when yeah I mean speaking specifically on the Celtics and then I'll let Rebo Hustle cover what he wants to do um, like speaking specifically on the Celtics they made the finals what two years ago uh, lost in six games could easily make it this year I mean I think they're the best team in the east right now I think they're the best team in the NBA right now. And yet, if the game ends after three quarters, we beat them by double digits. So, without that fourth quarter collapse, Pelicans are beating the best team in the NBA. And 
we've seen some of that this season is we can compete with the best teams. Like, it's not like every single time we play a good team, we get blown out. However, we have 16 double-digit blown leads this season. You cannot blow 16 double-digit leads when you play 82 games. Because, I mean, at this rate, we're a little bit over halfway through the season. I think we've played 46-ish games, and you've already blown 16. Another 16 throughout the season, and, you know, you've blown over 30 double-digit leads, and that's... If you win half of those games, you're the number two, number three seed in the in in the conference. So, I know it's a lot of complicated and convoluted math just to say that if we can get these rotations right and these guys can play together and figure out how to play together late in games, it's a scary look for the rest of the NBA. But it's not too scary if they're blowing double digit leads once a week. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's where like the. That's where my mindset came in last night was, hey, something's wrong. Like we, something's not adding up. Why are we? Keep, why do we keep blowing these leads? Why? Why can we look like the best team in basketball for three quarters, and then in one quarter here or there, where there's the third or the fourth, we look like one of the worst. And with the success of this team and how great they've looked, especially through the eye, like watching every game, like, you know, the potential of this team. And I guess that's what, that's what hurts the most is you're like, Oh, we're right there. Like we can, we can compete for a championship. Whereas if you look at the roster, CJ McCollum, Jonas and Larry Nance, besides those three, your oldest players, like 26, we've got time. We don't have to win today. You got to get better today. You don't have to win today. Yeah, I mean, some would say what hurts the most is being so close <laughs> and watching you walk away. That was good. That was good. One point for Redfish. All right, uh, I'm going to get into three trades that I cooked up. Um, I don't know why I did two of them. One of them, one of them, I was like, this, this is something that. It doesn't make any sense, but it, it just felt like something that could happen in the reality of this NBA, and the other two were just off the wall. Um, and I want to get both of your takes on these trades, and then we'll move on to our last topic. Um, so, first trade I cooked up, Rebo Hustle's already seen this one. Mustang, I'd like to get your opinion. I am not saying I would do this trade, and I told him that. No, no, I wouldn't. It's his favorite player on the Nets and my favorite player on the Nets. I literally told him I wouldn't do this trade, <laughs> but he doesn't want to listen. Jalen uh, He plays That's for the Knicks. Knicks. Um, so the Pelicans would be shipping out C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, and Jose Alvarado, nope. which that's killing the locker room. I know, and I told him that, but he doesn't listen. For Mikael Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith. So my thought process here was Jose's not getting minutes right now, and I know most of our bench is matchup-based. Jose didn't get any minutes last night, but... I mean, at this point, I think Hawk and Dyson are pretty much playing our backup guard minutes uh, over the past week or so. Um, there's been a lot of stuff going on about, you Good know, Pel- Pels might trade Herb, Pels might trade Herb. I don't think we are uh, because people, a lot of people are saying, oh, you have to pay Herb. We already paid Herb. Um, you pay and Trey. then we do have to pay Trey. I know that. That's I'm just saying people are people were saying that we have to right. trade her because we have to pay him and okay. we already paid him. Like national media yeah. doesn't know what's going on. Uh and then CJ because he's making a butt ton of money. 
Um, and then we trade them for Mikael Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, two lockdown defenders who can both spot up. Um, Mikael Bridges has really unlocked his offensive game since he's had the chance in Brooklyn. And, you know, he's he's kind of similar to a Brandon Ingram when it comes to how many points he can score and the nights he can take over and just score 45. Um, but he brings a lot more defense. Um, so having him and Brandon Ingram together on the floor would be a beautiful starting lineup because I think he's just as good as Herb Jones defensively. Maybe not quite as good, but in that tier uh, while also bringing you 20 to 22 a night. And then uh, DFS can come off the bench and really lock down your best defender. So that was my thought process. Give me your thoughts. Um, you know, me and me and Rebo were talking just a few nights ago about how Mikhail Bridges, we would both very much like on the Pelicans. Dog. Dog. Indeed. He makes every team in the NBA better. He is. Without a doubt. Probably one of my three favorite players in the NBA. Yep. He's a he, he's not one of those guys that's going to stand out every night, day in day out. But he's one of those guys that'll impact the game every night. Yep. Um, and how how I would love for him to be a Pelican, I just don't see a trade where we would win in it. I feel like they're going to ask for too much. Uh, we're going to have to give away too much to get Mikael Bridges in return. You know, I'd love for him to be on the Pelicans. I just don't think that it would work out. Yeah, I mean, you're replacing your best defender with another team's best defender who's very much on par. And Dorian Finney-Smith and Mikael Bridges are both very elite defenders. Um, the reason I said no to you earlier is Jose's the most untouchable player in the NBA, in my opinion. For you personally, or like the actually city, thinking for about the city, it? city of New Orleans, for the city, riot. okay, you you lose fifty percent of your fans. Everyone does love Jose, and that's what I I did tell you that. Please fact check me. I did say no that it would kill the fan base. It would kill the locker room. I I don't love it from that perspective. And I even I believe I put it on Twitter as well as hate hate it for the fan base. Hate it for the locker room. Kind of like it for the basketball. Um, <laughs> so you know. Can't 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 always get what you want. That was the most like big brain of the trades. These other ones were kind of just like intrusive thoughts that I let win. Do you have an? Does any of them involve a big? Yes, this next one, the next, both of the next two do, yeah. uh, and they both come with the same package, which is Jonas Valanciunas and Dyson Daniels. Um, that's kind of like the biggest. Like, if you look national wide, what do the Pelicans gonna? What are the Pelicans gonna do with the trade deadline? It's kind of always involving these two guys. Yeah, because I mean, Jonas is on an expiring contract. Dyson Daniels, young, amazing defender. Young, great defender, shows every now and then a little bit potential in the offensive game, and he's making a lot less money than he could be making yeah. based on how he's playing. Um, so the first one is with the Cavs, with a guy who has been rumored to the Pelicans for years now, and that's Jared Allen. So it would be training JV and Dyson for Jared Allen and Dean Wade. Dean Wade was to make the money fit. He makes the same exact amount as Dyson, actually. Um, Spot-up shooter from the from the forward position. Um, scores, about the, scores about the same amount as Dyson, but does not bring the defense. Uh, Cavs don't have that much bench depth, so I had to make things work. <laughs> um, so Dean Wade was kind of my only option. Too much money. <laughs> yeah, Jetty Osmond's making... Well, Jetty Osmond doesn't play for the Cavs anymore, actually. I found out. 
<laughs> don't know where he's at. <laughs> That's a bummer. Um, Isaac Okoro making too much money. Um, so Dean Wade, it was. Um, he would probably he would probably find some minutes here and there. Not no. too many, but. No, the idea the of Jared Allen for depth. Dyson and JV. That's really what I want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you've got the wing depth to where you... That's really a throwaway contract, I guess. Um, Jared Allen definitely improves your rim protection, which I'm not even 100% sure on the need. Last year I was gung-ho, JV needs to go. This year, like last night, we're watching the Celtics game. JV was a mismatch nightmare. Like, was was the guy we went to every time we needed a bucket because they were just switching everything because they're basically their two bigs, both their starter and their bench player, were out last night. Yeah. And uh, that's why I was also questioning the closing lineups because JV wasn't in. JV was your tough bucket getter. I mean, he wasn't pulling up crazy like B.I., right? but he was definitely abusing Drew Holiday, abusing Al Horford with just simple A lot of points. times it was the it was the wings who got switched on to JV because they were running inside action with Herb and, and when Trey was in the game. Like, they had multiple times. Sam Hauser was posted up against JV on the block, and yeah. JV, two dribbles, turn around off the, off the uh, backboard. Plus. Like... That's what JV was doing, and he did it like five times. Yeah, JV's having a career year this year. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, including us, were questioning him coming into the season, and he. I feel like he's done well more than prove himself so far this season. He's just constantly all throughout the game. He's playing his heart out, grabbing boards left and right, looking for those key passes, and then you know, like just like last night, getting those tough buckets. Yeah, he's. He's in trade talks because he's an expiring contract. You know, you're going to have to pay him next year, and he's not going to be cheap. And you, he's not going to be – like, there's not a restricted free agency either. He's Just, making $15.4 million right now. And he deserves there's a raise. There's no way he's making less than that on his next contract. And he deserves a raise. He, d- he does. He absolutely does. Um, and – You've said it multiple times, but JV is the guy who is going to come in night in, night out, and do his job. That is what JV does. He's not going to wow you and score 35 points and shoot four threes at the center position. He's not going to have a triple-double because he's this big playmaker. He's an old-school 90 center who's going to give you 16-12 and 12 and scare the opposing defense, like make the other defense work for it. Um so I don't love the idea of getting rid of JV at this point, other than the fact that he is an expiring contract and we will have to give him a raise. Um, but Jared Allen's kind of... Young, has a three years left on his deal. He's the most similar player to JV, I would say, from a play style perspective. Um, similar build as well. J, uh, Jared Allen's a little bit more slim, but great rim protector, back-to-the-basket guy, is going to back you down, tough, physical. Um so it's it's just what do the Pelicans view more heavily? Is it is it that contract where they'll get two more years out of Jared Allen, or is it keeping the locker room together with JB? Um, so the last trade, this one sucks. Uh, t- to be frank, um, the That's most really interesting feel. the most interesting part of this trade is where my Spotify was showing in the top where I was playing uh, "Here for a Good Time" by George Strait. 
Um, so, so this trade, JV and Dyson Daniels, JV and Dyson Daniels yeah. uh, to the Wizards. Nope, nope. For <laughs> Tyus Jones and Daniel Gafford. Absolutely no, uh, no. Daniel Gafford is another guy who was rumored to the Pelicans, so I was like, hmm, let me see what I can do to make Daniel Gafford to the Pelicans work. Have you watched Daniel Gafford play basketball? Unfortunately. <laughs> I'm. This one was strictly off of rumors I had seen on Instagram. That is what this one was. Is Pelicans are in talks to look at Daniel Gafford. And I was like, okay, let me see what I can do. Only thing that made the money work was Tyus Jones. And um, he would be an offensive upgrade over J- Dyson Daniels, for sure. He, he could even slide into the starting lineup. Yeah, he's um, with one of the C- best you know, backup point guards in the league. Yeah, he could even start and slide into the starting lineup with CJ and let CJ go back to being the two role and have Herb come off the bench, maybe. But that trade was nasty, and I admit it. It was not It was not my best work. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense for the Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about JV's offense. Like, if there's one move in the Pelicans' offense that I'm like, oh, that's in is a JV little hook. I've watched Daniel Gafford airball those like for six straight quarters. If Daniel Gafford doesn't have six feet of steam, he is not scoring <laughs> the basketball. That is what I found out by watching Daniel Gafford. Yeah, and I feel like with the Jared Allen trade, if I knew more, of, like if I watched more of his game, like I don't know how great of an offensive player he is, maybe that one makes a little more sense. But I... I I will do anything to not have Daniel Gafford in a Pelicans uniform. Okay. Some might say he can't commit a post-move to memory. Kwame Brown. (laughs) Um, I'm going to pull up Jared Allen's stats real quick just so we can get a final little verdict on him. Uh, Jared Allen is averaging 15, 10, and 3. Yeah. I mean, I I know he plays above the rim, but, like, I don't know if he has a good back-down game. Like, can he – can he take the ball at the top of the key like JV does and start the action? I don't. I just haven't watched enough Cavs this year. Well, get on that. <laughs> I, I'm going to need you to get into the trade talks, and we're, we're going to have to dispel or prove these rumors to be true with the Pelicans because uh, the trade deadline is approaching rapidly. I believe it is sometime in mid-February that the trade deadline rolls around, um, and we haven't seen... We haven't seen but a few uh, really big trades, and both of them coming from the Toronto Raptors, trading OG and Pascal. Um, guys that, you know, could maybe fit what the Pelicans were doing, but they found new homes already. Um, so we'll have to see what the Pels do at the trade deadline, and obviously we'll talk about it on the next pod as well. If we make a move, or maybe we'll each come with a potential trade that we would like to see happen. Um just so we do some more research instead of me saying some off-the-wall, off-ball bullcrap uh, on the pod. Anything else to talk about the Pels before we move on to our last and final segment of this show? Negative. No, no. All right. With that being said, we won't talk about the final game that's happening on February 11th, but we will cover what has happened so far in the NFL playoffs. Playoffs? So, as you saw there, conference championship weekend has come and passed. The Chiefs take down the Ravens 17-10. 49ers take down the Lions 34-31. Boys, thoughts on the games? 
Dan not happy. Campbell. Not happy and Dan Campbell. Two perfect ways to describe how I felt. How Dan Campbell's feeling right now. Uh, <laughs> Dan Campbell, how are you feeling? Well, man, I'm feeling like Dan Campbell. <laughs> um, yeah, good point. Uh, first, Covering that first game that we had, Ravens-Chiefs, I mean, Lamar just played like playoff Lamar. He, it's kind of been his thing. He's struggled to win playoff games, and it came back to bite him in this Chiefs game. Um, the Chiefs just looked like they wanted it. Oh, the Chiefs did want it, without right. a doubt. I'm not saying... The Ravens were flat. I'm not saying anything about the Chiefs. Know. You're good. Uh, it's... Lamar just did not play how he... He's, he's going to win the MVP trophy. Lamar Jackson is going to bring home the MVP this season, and he turned the ball over twice in the playoffs. And his best play of the day was when he caught his own deflected pass. That was about to be a pick six. That was nice. It was cool. It was a nice heads-up play, it was. but it probably shouldn't have happened to begin with. Right, but it should have been a pick six, is my point. Yeah. Um. So... You know, the MVP comes out flat, and I I don't know if it's all on him because there was a lot of questionable decisions of only handing the ball off six times with the team that averaged the most rushing yards per game during the regular season um, against the Chiefs defense that, you know, they're a very good defense, but I think their best part is their secondary, where they're very sticky in the secondary. So I don't know why you think throwing the ball on them every single play is the best option. But then again, I'm not an NFL coach. So, not sure uh, what the thought process was there. Either way, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes win another AFC championship going to their fourth Super Bowl of their era. Um, what's, what's your thoughts on the AFC games and maybe what what could have happened, what should have happened? Um, well, you know, as, as we all here have predicted, we all had the, the Ravens going to the Super Bowl uh didn't happen like i said can never count out mahomes but i really don't feel like mahomes is the one who won this game i feel like it was a very defensive game on both sides on for both teams um ravens defense played their heart out they just couldn't you know they're used to being able to play defense either that well or even a little less and their offense coming through their offense just didn't come through this game uh, like you said, they only rushed the ball six times, but those six times when they rushed the ball, it was a fairly good run. It was a good play drawn up, got them some yards. Don't know why they did it so little. And then the one thing that killed me was Lamar's pocket presence, his passing decisions. Just his overall game, that game was all in all questionable. Um, you know, I, I think either at halftime or shortly after halftime, there had only been five complete passes to wide receivers, and four of them were Zay Flowers, who had one hell of a game. Hats off to the young rook. <clears throat> but those numbers just you know speak to me. I mean, he was throwing down to his tight ends a lot, th- throwing some checkdowns, but when you have that receiving core, it's Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Bateman. Those guys, you know, it's against the Chiefs, it's already tough, but those guys were... Making some good plays. Lamar just missed quite a few opportunities to get the ball downfield. So, you know, again, hats off to Patrick Mahomes. We'll see him again. But I really don't want to see the Chiefs win another Super Bowl. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. And we're not going to talk about the Super Bowl yet because we'll do that on the next pod since we have a week in between. We don't want to spoil our britches, but... uh, 
<clears throat> we'll uh, <laughs> we'll hold off on the Super Bowl talk. Just talk about um, what you saw in this game, Reba. Yeah, this game was a bit of a blur for me. I took a nice little nap at halftime, and uh, but I do like I probably re- smart thing to do. I remember the first half very specifically and how flat both Ravens' offense and defense looked. You saw some fight out of the Chiefs. They were ready to strike at every point. Travis Kelsey had one of his best games. Travis Kelsey broke the career receptions record and for uh, in the playoffs. Um. But, yeah, I mean, that was my whole shtick going in through the whole week was, I mean, through the whole game was the Ravens just don't look like the Ravens today. And the verdict was so. Yeah, I mean, it looked like they were trying too hard. It looked like they were trying so hard to beat the other team rather than just win the game. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But it looked like they were trying so hard to just out-strategize and out you know, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You beat the team who we're going to talk about in a minute who went, who's going to the Super Bowl from the NFC side by, like, 30-something points. Like, the fact that you had a regular season where you ended up as the number one seed in the AFC, you finished with the best record in the NFL, and then you go away from that to throw the ball 37 times, have your quarterback sacked another four, and you rushed the ball six times with your running backs. Gus Edwards, who, while he's not, we're not going to sit here and say he's a top ten running back in the league, had a pretty darn good season. Could score touchdowns when he was near the goal line as well. And yet, he's averaging 6.7 yards per carry in this game and gets three carries. Um, I mean, it, it was just a, a very strange performance from the Ravens. Like you said with their defense, I mean, the Chiefs went down on the first two drives and just bang, bang, like, was easily handling that Ravens defense, who was the first defense in NFL history to lead in sacks, yards per game, and turnovers created, I think, uh, were the three stats. Um, So they were one of the best defenses of all time, and yet they get shown up by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, who come out and win games. That's what they do. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say Patrick Mahomes won the Chiefs the game, because if we're being honest, you hold the Chiefs to 17 points, you should be able to win that game. Like, holding Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey to 17 points, your offense should be able to win that game, and yet they couldn't. So it falls on both sides of the ball for the Ravens, and it's just a disappointing performance from a team who I bet on before the season to win the Super Bowl. That's why I'm so passionate about it, because I had money on them. Before the season started, I said the Ravens are winning the Super Bowl, and I put money on it, and I would have had a huge payday. But here we go with them losing to the Chiefs. They offer you a cash out? No, never did. Never did. After they won the one seed, I was like, oh, they're going to cash out before the postseason starts. They have a bye week. Never offered me a cash out. They beat the Texans. I'm like, oh, they'll definitely offer me a cash out. I checked every single day <laughs> since they were the number one, like since they like secured the one seed. And I would have cashed out because they would have offered me a pretty, pretty penny. And I would have, I would have taken it. Yet, here we are. Um, I lose money on both of these conference championship games yeah. and lose both sides of my heart as well. Both sides. <laughs> um, moving on to the NFC, we had the 49ers versus the Lions. Uh, I'm going to have you guys talk about this game. All right. Um, it was 
an outstanding game to say the least. Um, but you know, it was kind of weird because it wasn't like both teams were going, you know, touchdown for touchdown, drive for drive. It was one team got hot, then the other team got hot. Yeah, it was both teams going on a run at different times in this game. Um, you know, at one point, lines up fourteen nothing. San Francisco can't get anything going. I feel like I went to go use the bathroom and came back. 49ers up 21-14. Um, what happened? We were up 24-7 at halftime. At halftime. We were up 17 points. <laughs> and then Bryce got home. I almost left again. <laughs> I very I very much almost left. I thought I put bad juju on the team. Yeah, it was a tough game and uh, you know, I was at work when all this was happening. And um, we were all watching the game sitting around. And this, you know, one of the guys was a 49ers fan. And I've never seen a man more angry <laughs> in my life than when the f- the first half of that football game, he just kept saying, and I agree with him, you know, like I'm not, obviously I'm not a 49ers fan. I did want the Detroit Lions to win, but I could definitely see where he was coming from. And it felt familiar because first half, 49ers, it felt like they refused to run the football consistently. But when they did, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good run from Christian McCaffrey. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> but in the first half, they just felt like they were trying to force the pass, force these long plays, when you're not going to get that on the Detroit Lions defense. Um, but second half, I think they figured it out, that stick to their games, stick to their runs, stick to their short passes, and their little West Coast offense. And they definitely showed success. They stuck with it. Christian McCaffrey had one hell of a game once again to lead these 49ers to victory. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. But the uh, for me, it was the Lions went up 14 nothing, And I was like, they've got a 14-point cushion. This offense can handle it. And then Niners go down score. Lions answer back with another score, 21-7, kick a field goal going at halftime. And I was like, this is this is Detroit's game to lose. And it was. Boy, Boy were it. you right. It was. Uh, and then the crazy Brandon IU catch just, like, sealed all momentum off for the Lions. And you really felt that with the crowd. Like, the they started going crazy. Um, but, yeah, I... I'm still shocked that the Lions were able to choke that one out. And uh, so now we have the Super Bowl that nobody wanted to see. Yeah. Um, Very true. I, th- I will say this is – I feel like this would be the only time where I'd ever thought Dan Campbell would be too aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the championship week. I feel like you almost always, unless you're either down by a lot or up by a lot, you always got to take your points in those situations. See – and I, I liked it at the beginning of the game. I think they had a, a fourth and three on their own side of the field. And there was no question that they were going for it. And I was like, all right, good. Set the set the tone. Yeah. Set the pace. Show the other team you are willing to do whatever it takes to win this game. And, like, just go for it. They went for it. They made a third and 13 and a third and 18 on the same drive with Amon Ross St. Brown, who had a heck of a game as well. Um, I mean... Dan Campbell is the most aggressive head coach in the league, without a doubt. 
did it come back to bite him? Honestly, I don't even think that had much to do with it. I think whether you go for it on that fourth and three where you could have kicked a field goal or not, I know technically the score is tied, but you don't know what happens for the rest of the game. I mean, you could still lose that game because then you don't have that same situation where the 49ers defense is okay with letting you score. I mean, they were down 10 points in their drive, and they had less than a minute left when they scored that touchdown. You think the 49ers are going full throttle? I don't. So you never know you know, what situations could arise in that game. So I get it from a math perspective. Yes, you kicked that field goal, but you don't change who you are, and the Lions won all season by being aggressive and winning football games at the way they win football games. So I'm not going to blame it on Dan Campbell. I'm not going to blame it on the offense because I know they stalled out in the second half and only scored seven points, and those seven points were the 30 seconds left in the game. And I can't really blame the defense either um, because they played so phenomenally in the first half. I don't think you can blame the Lions, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think you Imagine can blame the, that. I don't <laughs> think you can blame the Lions. I think the 49ers were a better football team. As much as I love my Detroit Lions and we blew a 17-point first half lead, there was no reason we're not in the Super Bowl right now. You look top to bottom, you look at the coaching staff, you look at the roster construction, you look at the salary cap future, you look at the way they navigate their roster and the willingness to make trades and sign free agents, the 49ers were a better constructed team who were built to win the Super Bowl. The Lions are young. Lions have more potential than any other team in the league, I think. I think when you look at where that team could be in three years from now, I don't think any team stacks up with the Lions. With Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta and Brian Branch and Jack Campbell and Jared Goff playing his best football right now, and a young, very good offensive line led by Captain Panay Sewell. Like, this team is in a very good position. I think it just wasn't their year. And I think that's what it was. Um, give him, I, give the, him one more year. Give him, and it's hard to get back. It Like Dan Campbell said in his, in his press conference, he was like, we know it's going to be twice as hard next year to get where we are right now because teams are going to be expecting it and they're going to have to play against us. People weren't expecting the Lions to go... 11 and 6 and win the north and then make the NFC championship up by 17 and a half. That wasn't expectations for the season. Were they expected to win the north? Bettingly, yes. But they're the Lions. And yet here they are. Um so I mean, as a person who's been a fan of the Lions since Dan Campbell took over as head coach, I can't help but feel responsible for them getting this far, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. <laughs> but um I'm real I'm dude, this this team is such a fun story. Uh, such a such a fun team to pay attention to, and I think they've got a really bright future. Um, a lot of things just didn't go their way in this game. Uh, two long plays that should have ended up as interceptions end up as a Brandon Ayuk touchdown and a ball that bounces out of bounds. Um, I mean, there's the the fourth down play that we talked about where they could have went for the field goal. I mean, if they connect on that play, the game is over. I mean, you connect on that play, you're in the ten, inside the 10-yard line, and I think they were up by 10 at that – maybe they were up by 10 at that point because I think it was in the third – was it in the third quarter? Late in the third quarter maybe? Maybe. I mean, they were up by 10. They were at least winning in that game to where if you, if you get a two-possession lead in that game early in the fourth quarter and then you score another touchdown – it's hard for the 49ers to come back. So, yes, things didn't go their way. 
But all in all, you've seen it since the beginning of the season. The 49ers are the favorite to win the Super Bowl, and they have been all year. And um, it just made sense for them to win this game at home. Kyle Shanahan gets his chance to go up against Andy Reid in the Super Bowl. Um, and this is the first year in a very long time that I'm considering not even turning on the game. Oh, I'll be watching. I will. Don't get me wrong. I will. But I'm considering. <laughs> I'll be watching, hoping that the Kansas City Chiefs don't win. I think uh, it'll, it won't be an aesthetically pleasing game. You know, red and gold versus red and yellow. True. It's not going to be fun to watch. Um, but I think it's... I think it's two of the best teams in football. I mean, that's how the Super Bowl works. Um, I don't think it was the Chiefs' best year, but they end up beating the Dolphins. They beat the Bills, beat the Ravens. Uh, they went through a gauntlet to get here, so you can't you can't put down what they did. And then uh, the 49ers made it here too. So <sighs> I'm just so upset for my Lions. Um, <laughs> The future looks bright, had the best draft class of all time this past season, and Ben Johnson um, has turned down. You, Yeah, I said it. Tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. That's what I thought. Um, ben Johnson has turned down his interest in the two coaching jobs remaining and decided he wants to stay with the Lions uh, and also got a contract extension. Uh, or no, no, he did not. I'm sorry. Gerard Johnson, the quarterback coach for the Texans, who was the Saints – uh, one of the Saints' prime candidates for their OC job, uh, he got a contract extension with the Texans today to stay with C.J. Stroud. Um, so Smart. when we see the Lions versus the Texans in the Super Bowl next year, don't say I didn't tell you. Lions versus the Texans? Don't say I didn't tell you, by the way. Anyway, uh, <laughs> any other thoughts on this NFL playoffs? Um, last thing I have to say, it was my least favorite playoffs of all time. Uh, From a football perspective, I didn't think this was a very good playoffs. Wow, uh... Personally, from a football perspective, I think it's the best playoffs I've ever watched. There was first round was full of blowouts. Second round wasn't entertaining. Champion this really? this past weekend was good. The divisional round was all one possession games. I mean the the Packers housed the Cowboys. The divisional round. That that was in the divisional round, wasn't it? Packers lost to the Niners in the divisional round. Oh, you're right. You're right. That's on me. Hey, that one's on me. Hand up, coach. I'll be better next time. Uh, but the Ravens, the Ravens beat the Texans pretty handedly. Um, Tied at halftime, ten to ten. Yeah, but they beat them by twenty one points. Fair. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, Bills close game. Chiefs Bills was a close game, but Bucks it wasn't. Lions it wasn't until the last minute. Okay, can can I can you let me talk? <laughs> I, you want me to defend my take, and you won't even let me defend it. Chiefs-Bills was a close game, but I didn't find it as highly powered entertaining as Chiefs-Bills matchups in the past, like two years ago when they went to overtime, tied at 36. Bucks-Lions, I thought, was a good game, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel as close as it was for some reason to me. I guess it's because the Lions got up big and then the Tampa Bay, the Bucks tried to get back and then they never did. Um, Packers-Niners was a good game. I will admit that was a, that was a pretty solid matchup. Um, but for me... As a whole, these playoffs just didn't feel like they had the parity and the spunk that I look for in past years. Like, I, I think of the Bengals versus Rams Super Bowl um, and the roads to get there. I felt like that was a really fun playoffs because it wasn't the same two teams. I just feel like this year didn't have that parity I was looking for, and that's where I'm coming from. I would I would use 
the term no spunk, but not but there's a lot of parody. There, there is there was a lot games. of parody. You look at It's just like it's just my opinion. The the Browns, the Texans, the Dolphins, the Steelers. He's to, upset with the winners. Just to, to start the I'm also the upset with the winners. To start the playoffs. I agree that there was a lot of parody, but it felt like every matchup was like, oh, yeah, here we go. The, the Packers did change it up on us with the Cowboys, I will admit. I was so happy. Um, was, that was one of my favorite games was Packers-Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest blowout of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was it was almost like every, you know, every higher seed always wins. I mean, other than the Chiefs, um, it was pretty much every higher seed always wins. So, I mean, it... Again, I'm not saying that it's a factual statement that this was the worst playoffs of all time and everyone should hate it. It's just, in my opinion, I wasn't as interested and entertained as I normally am. That's fair. I mean, yeah, a lot of the wins were like chalked up to the higher seed wins, especially if you look at the AFC side until the championship game. But I still think that the games were very good in themselves. Like There were good games for the most part. Um, a lot of them were one or two possession games, 10-point wins, things like that. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed these playoffs. I'm probably not going to enjoy the Super Bowl as much unless the 49ers win by 50. <laughs> I wish both teams could lose. Maybe Roman Reigns ends up as the Super Bowl <laughs> champion. We'll have to wait and see. Why have, why have you become the Niners hater? I hate both of these teams. Why? Well... The 49ers just beat my Lions, so that's one point of it. Um, what are we? What are we doing? Also, are we? Can we? Can you rewind like six to seven minutes ago when I talked about how the Niners were the better team and they deserved to be here? I mean, yeah, but yeah, uh-huh. good Niners point. Niners are just there's nothing. See, I like the Niners. There's nothing terrible about them. No, I just I'm just mad at them. They're not there every year. You I'm you had this I'm very mad at them. Run last year, and you had two of their their two quarterbacks. I mean, this is the second there. time in four years that we're getting the same exact Super Bowl. And Jimmy G lost in the NFC Championship to the Rams the year after that, and then last year they also were in the playoffs. So I would say the Niners are there every year, but again, they I just don't been, like but, them. But they've kind of been like the Cowboys of the recent playoffs. We know that they're there. The Cowboys have been the Cowboys of the recent playoffs. <laughs> we know that they're there. We know that they're competitive. But when it comes down to it, they're not going to get there this year. I, I like their chances. We'll, we'll talk about the Super Bowl next week. They haven't won one. No, they haven't. <laughs> I just don't like them because they beat my team. What, where's, where's this not clicking for you, bro? It's, I'm not understanding. So I got it, but I'm not understanding. I just like the Brock Purdy story. Fair. I would have rather the Jared Goff story. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Sue me. Me too. Sue me. But honestly, it's more of my hatred of... Patrick we all Mahomes. can agree we don't want the Chiefs to win. Yeah. Like <laughs> the I don't want the Niners to win, but it, it's the lesser of the two evils. We'll right. put it that way. It's like Bama versus Clemson. I kind of hate that you made that comparison, <laughs> but it's kind of true. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, I mean, I would want Clemson to win, but yeah. I never want Clemson to win. I like that. Anything else you want to talk about, Rebo? Let's go freshman T-Law. Okay. All right. All right. What a way to end, what a way to end this podcast. 
we were on pace to end at like 40 minutes or so, and then I got on my Lions rant, and yet here we are, over an hour, oh, like wow. we used to be. <laughs> um, but it was fun. Uh, we had some some hot takes, some would say. Um, we had some idiotic trades that I brought up. Um, and we had some beautiful deep dive into Louisiana culture with Reba Hustle talking about LSU football. Um, so glad to keep doing this. Make sure to follow us on social medias off the underscore dome pod on X, uh, follow Rebo hustle OTD on X as well. Get his followers up. Um, follow at B in the know K and E A U X. The only way to spell it as well as checking out the no YouTube channel where we're doing some short videos over there to engage content. Uh, we have an LSU, uh, we had an LSU defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator video each. Um, both of them got some some good views on there, so we know our content's getting out. So go ahead and check those out on the No YouTube channel as well as every other podcast within the network. Um, ones that are similar to ours, they got a new wrestling pod up there that you might see our faces on eventually called the Freebird Rule, so make sure to check that out. Uh, glad to be a part of the network. Glad to be bringing this content to YouTube and Spotify off the Dome Sports Podcast. <laughs> Hello, off the Dome Sports Podcast. I don't know how to talk, and I'm Redfish, and I'm Rebuzzle, and I'm Mustang, and we will see you next time.